0: The following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. The Gospel of John, Chapter 13. I would uh, commend, if you haven't already, to pick up one of these sermon schedule cards. They're right next to where you picked up your worship guide uh, on the music stand right out there by the door. This is the proposed schedule for the remainder of our study of the Gospel of John all the way through the middle of May. Uh, We create these for you so you can stick them in your Bible and you can read along with us for the upcoming week. You know what we're studying. You can begin to pray through that passage that the Lord may begin to reveal and teach you things about his word. And so you're more prepared, your heart is more prepared to hear and study from God's word uh, when you come to church on Sunday. And it just provides a great sort of look into the future of where we're going. So grab that. That's for you. Stick it in your Bible or carry it with you wherever you you're reminded to read God's Word, it's, uh, it's a good tool. So make sure you grab one of those on your, on your way out. <clears throat> well, it's good to be with you guys. I know that some of us are, are expecting some impending snow and so are eager to sort of return home and make sure things are in order. But we're going to take the time the Lord has given us now. We're here, and uh, we're going to trust that the Lord will not snow us in that he will keep the snow from falling for just a little while so that we can gather and then safely get back to the places where we're going. But we are grateful that we are able to meet, especially in light of uh, the last several weeks where it's been uh, really back and forth a lot with a lot of our families. We've been having to cancel our services twice. And so um, let us remind ourselves that this time is sacred and special to us. And uh, though God can speak to us through his word and through his spirit in any way, at any time, uh, there's something unique about our gathering here. So uh, I'm grateful that we can, we can gather and study God's word together. That being said, let's turn now to John chapter 13. <clears throat> and we're going to actually read the entire chapter together. <clears throat> so John chapter 13, begin in verse 1. You can listen along as I read. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet also, but my hands and head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, God is glorified in him. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new covenant, a new commandment, rather, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you now in our time of study, open our eyes to see what it is that is most important for us, that we may obey and walk faithfully in light of the word. May we see in these final hours of Jesus's life the picture of the gospel that is truly transformative to us, that we can behold in his service to the disciples a picture of true humility and love, that we are so moved because that love was offered and extended to us. And may we then be empowered and equipped by your spirit, then to also go and love others, particularly to love one another. Help us, Lord, this morning to be free from distraction. May our hearts be ready and open to receive the truth of your word, to be confronted where it needs to be confronted and encouraged where we find ourselves despondent. Let our souls and our countenance be lifted and let our pride be brought low. We pray for those who are not here because of sickness or distress or other circumstances. God, I pray that they are encouraged that their health would be recovered, that they find time to dwell and meditate on your word, perhaps as they listen now or read this morning, that you would comfort them and draw them to yourself. And for those who are not here because they have made choices that do not honor you, we pray, God, that you would begin to confront them by your spirit and draw to their mind the necessity of knowing you and reconciling to you that they would take steps as you have given them the ability to do so, to be reconciled. We pray, God, that you would teach us now, as always, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, there are a lot of ways for us to learn how to love. We don't need to look very far for teachers to teach us how to love. In fact, this is quite natural. God gave us families, and some of the most important teachers of how to love are our own family members. Our parents, for instance, are meant to be an example and a picture of what love can look like. True, genuine love, not only for one another, but parental love, motherly or fatherly affection and love. Love for others as we observe our parents interacting with the world. But it's not just those in our lives and in our household, but we find ways to love from the culture. The movies we watch often paint a picture of what love looks like, what love feels like. Sometimes these movies get it right. Often these movies will get it wrong. We can look to the music we listen to to tell us what's important about love what we think love needs to make us do about how people want to be loved or ought to be loved. There are a lot of teachers that want to teach us how to love. And some of this may be helpful. The majority of it is probably not. But Christian love, that is love that is characterized by Jesus' own love, is only taught by Christ. We can observe the love of Christ in others as they submit and obey the teaching of Jesus of how to love, but it is only Christ who can teach Christians, his own disciples, what love is to look like. Even Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous passage in the Bible on love, does not draw from his own philosophical understanding of love, but he looks to Christ, who modeled all of those characters and qualities of love that we read from this morning. Jesus is our instructor in the school of love, and he speaks to us most clearly here to his disciples about the nature and the character of love that his people are to possess. And so we can and should look to others to observe this love in action. As those who are faithful in Christ and mature in his word and teaching submit themselves to his instruction, we ought to expect then that they love others well. And where they succeed, we should follow. As Paul would then say, follow me as I follow Christ. But we ought to always have our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the picture, the model, the epitome of love not this washed out, silly, esoteric kind of love that the culture or songs or our movies tend to paint for us, but true, genuine love that offers ourselves to others for their good. The main idea this morning that we see from our passage will be this, that the love of Christ for his own But it's his own disciples, his own people. The love of Christ for his own is both the end and the means of the Christian's life. It is both the end and the means of the Christian life. By end, I mean that the love of Christ provides for us the standard or the goal of what Christian love should look like. When we say Christian love, we mean love that is like Christ's. So we ought to look to Christ as the model, the example, the archetype of what love is, what it looks like, what it does, how it feels. So for our own life, the love of Jesus for his own, modeled and demonstrated here, not only in our text, but in all of the gospels, is the end of our example, that is the standard and the goal that we pursue as we exercise love. But it's also, I said, the means of the Christian life. And by that, I'm saying that our fuel or our motivation to love one another, to exercise the kind of love we see modeled by Jesus, is the love of Jesus itself. We are compelled by Jesus' own love for us to continue to love others and one another and even God. We are, that is, enabled or equipped by the love of Christ to love others faithfully. So when I say that the love of Christ for his own is both the means and the end of the Christian life, that is, we strive for the same love that Jesus possessed and demonstrated. We also are compelled and carried along by that same love to that end. And so what we're going to do is through this text and through chapter 13 here is examine five characteristics of Christian love taught by Jesus to his disciples so that our lives may then pursue the picture of love that Jesus models and lays for us. Five characteristics of Christian love taught to us by Christ here in chapter 13. The first we need to examine is the definition of love. Notice this in the first verse of chapter 13, John writes about Jesus. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, this is... Simple sentence here in the beginning of the washing of the disciples' feet and the pointing out of the disciple who would betray him and the command that he will give that they love others and the prophecy of Peter's denial even and the picture of love that he'll go on to paint and the rest of the gospel here begins with John's word here that he has loved them it says to the end says so Jesus for us paints the definition of love. Remember, he is the model, the goal, the archetype of what love is to look like and is to do. And we see this contextualized not simply because he has a strong emotion for his disciples, but precisely because he understands and has knowledge of the exact moment and the importance of his love for them. It says when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Interestingly, in this part of the narrative here, in the Greek, John records the the picture here in the present tense. That is, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. Even as he, he narrates the events of Jesus getting up and washing, it's all in the present tense, as if to place us right there in that moment. Now remember, Jesus had just come to realize that the hour of the Son of Man to be glorified and lifted up is here. Greeks came to have audience with him and he understood that that coming from the Greeks triggered the shift from the hour not yet at hand to the hour now at hand. That hour, of course, being the hour of his death, of his suffering, that God would glorify himself through Jesus' own life and death and ultimately vindicated in his resurrection. So that knowledge that the time of Jesus' death now is impending, he says, that he loved them. So in this context, one of the strongest statements about Jesus' love for his own people is placed. Jesus' love is unmoored in the hour of his own death. That it's, it's not simply understood to be a feeling or an emotion. It's not simply this desire to, say the last things you might want to say to someone before you never see them again. No, the importance of Jesus' love for his disciples is underscored, I might even say magnified, by the very moment that is at hand, that he is about to depart out of the world to the Father. And so having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And there's two ways to take this. Either he loved them to the very end of his own life, he loved them right up to the point of his own death, or, and maybe both can be true, that he loved them completely and fully and perfectly. Indeed, Jesus alone is capable of such perfect love. I think we see here in this Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples that the love he has for them is now overflowing. And so we have this picture this definition of love. So what characteristic of love, Christian love, do we see just from this short verse it is that love goes deep. This isn't a superficial love. This isn't a love where they spent enough time together, they know each other's characteristics and traits, they know some inside jokes with one another, and so they're just having a last meal before they depart ways. This is a deep abiding love that Jesus has for his own. In fact, notice that his own come out of the world. The very world in chapter one that we learn is hostile to Jesus and did not welcome him when he came to them. But it's from this community of hostility, this world that rejects Jesus, that he sovereignly and lovingly chooses his own. Says, having loved his own who are in the world, He loved them to the end. The love of Jesus does not simply stop when it gets hard for him, but it goes deeper than that. Superficial love, we know, does not really account for much in our lives. We may say we love one another or have a love for a certain food, but when it comes down to it, we quickly turn away from our love for that thing or that person when the cost may be too difficult. I love pizza, but I give pizza up all the time when something better is there or when it's snowing and I'm not about to drive to get pizza for my family. I love pizza, but I don't love pizza. I have relationships with those whom I say I love, but truthfully, there are times when I do not love them fully or completely because my own heart is chasing after another love. But Jesus demonstrates here that love, real, true, genuine love, goes deeper than superficial love. It goes deeper than a love that doesn't cost us anything. He knows that the hour of his death is here. And the most important thing that John wants us to know about that moment is that he loves us. He loves his own, whom he has chosen to be part of his family. Love, friends, goes deep. I just want us to think about the nature of our own relationships and how we talk about loving one another? Does our love for one another go deep, go beyond just the sort of superficial level that is easy for us to say we have? Now, we know love to go deep takes time. And we may not have the depth of relationship best friends for 30 years would have when you first meet somebody. But real true Christian love has a commitment to go deep in relationship with brothers and sisters and community, because that is what Jesus has demonstrated for us now. I want you to examine your own relationships, not simply with others, but particularly with other Christians here at Foundation. Does your love, like Jesus' go deep? And how do we know when it goes deep? Well, has it ever cost you anything to love a brother or sister in this room when it was difficult to do so? Someone has offended you wronged you, slandered you? Does your love for them abide nonetheless? Do you know a great consequence to yourself to love this brother or sister means you must give up your night or give up your routines or give up your favorite thing for someone else's help? What does love really look like when it goes deep? It means like Jesus being willing to love those who belong to him with a deep, genuine, abiding love that at times is costly. There may be times when it's easy to love one another. We should rejoice when we have those moments. But often we will be called to love one another deeply beyond just how can I pray for you and what can I do, but what does it look like to carry your burden, to go deep in this issue with you, that I may help you and truly love you. So in this first definition of love, Jesus reminds us of the character of genuine Christian love. It goes deep. But we continue on, in verse 2, really through 11, we get the demonstration of love here. Not only are we told that Jesus loves his disciples, but now we see it displayed through Jesus' own act of service and humility. What does he do? He girds himself up, he prepares himself, and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, feet washing is not something we do here in our culture, not necessary. Most of us bathe ourselves in our whole body and we don't walk around in sandals and our feet are never really that quite dirty. But in that day and age, it was the most baseless of jobs to wash another person's feet. In fact, even within Jewish circles, they really often tried to relegate that job to Gentile slaves because they seemed, assumed that even Jews, Jewish slaves, shouldn't wash feet. Remember, John the Baptist would say to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie. No, there's no weird phenomena around feet in the ancient world. We just recognize that feet, after walking in the desert all day, are dirty and gross, and cleanliness is important. And it is the menial job of a servant to wash the feet of the master, and here we see Jesus raise himself up after they're reclining around the table. Take a bowl of water in a basin, and he does the work of a servant, and not simply a servant, but of a slave. Certainly this shocked the rest of the disciples, and we see Peter here saying, what are you doing? I should be washing your feet. Funny that he wasn't before. Now Jesus rebukes him and says, if I don't do this, you have no part of me. And so... Peter, as always, putting his foot in his mouth, says, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Wash all of me. Well, Jesus says, you don't really get it, but you will. You are clean. This is the demonstration of love, and and it's hard for us to really put ourselves in this position, but it's as, as if I would come to your house and scrub all of your toilets for you because I loved you. Or it's as if I would go and I would wash in between each one of your toes, very intimate and very... Wrong, it would seem, of anybody, of any circumstance, to do something so intimate and so lowly that I would get down on my hands and knees and I would scrub the grime from the kitchen floor. This is something we think is relegated to the lowly, to the, those who don't deserve much honor. Jesus demonstrates that love has a certain condescension to it. We know this because Jesus, of course, is God. And even in his own incarnation, he demonstrates the humility he's willing to take on himself, right? God becomes man. And so there's a certain condescension between the relationship of God coming to man that already has in it a level of service and love that it's difficult for us to comprehend. But it's not just this. As Jesus says here, teachers don't do this to students. I am Lord and I am teacher. And you're right, that's who I am. But look at what I've done. And so now you will do like this. So not only does God become man and condescend and serve us in this way, but the teacher, the master teacher, Jesus, rabbi, now serves his disciples or his students this way, when usually it should be the other way around, he says. We see the condescension in Christ's own life by his coming and entertaining with sinners. Jesus is dining with these unqualified group of men and women, and he is serving and loving them. And the very Messiah itself is sitting and dining with people who ultimately would lead to his crucifixion. But really what's most striking of this demonstration of love and that speaks to the nature of the humility that it embodies is that he washes not just Peter's feet or the other disciples, but he washes Judas's feet knowing that Judas will betray him in just a moment, that he will be sent out to go to collect his money and turn Jesus over to the authorities. Friend gets down and washes the feet of his betrayer. This is the demonstration of love, and this is what it means to go deep into love. Not only are we to be in all of the condescension of this demonstration of love, but also to see the necessity of it. When Jesus says to Peter that if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me, what he's saying is this foot washing is not the most humiliating thing I'm going to do for you. You think this is lowly? Wait till I am crucified. And If you don't let me do this, you have no part of me to so notice the necessity of the demonstration of this love so that Peter and the disciples can get it in their minds that if they are to love one another it needs to look like a lowliness and so that's the nature and the second characteristic of love christian love the first was that love goes deep but secondly we see here that love gets low i mean it gets low this isn't false piety or false humility Ah, No, no, I'm not that great. No, No, you're better. No, you. This is a, I love you and I will serve you. He has taken off his outer garments. He has adorned himself with a towel, which he uses to clean the disgusting feet of those who will in a moment run away from him because it gets difficult to follow. The nature of Christian love is not only that it goes deep, but that it gets low. Well, friends, this, this calls us to consider the nature of our own relationships with those whom we say we love, not just our paternal family, but here in the church. When we say we love one another, do we demonstrate it by genuine acts of service? It's easy enough for me to send a pizza. There's a recurring theme, I think, about my analogies here of pizza. It's easy for me to send something online to your house, very little cost, maybe $20 and that's it. But would a great love and service to you look like simply pressing a button on the internet without any much thought afterward? Or would it be a genuine, loving humility that comes alongside and serves you? Love that goes deep and love that gets low is costly and it is hard. And you and I are not used to doing this. Our culture, our world, and our hearts tell us that if we want to genuinely be great, we must have those serve us. The greater you are, the more you are served. But here Jesus flips the paradigm on its head and says that if you want to be great, you must be the least of all. You must get low if you are to love one another. So in Christ, we see the definition of love in which love goes deep. And here through his demonstration of love, we see that real Christian genuine love gets low. Then he turns to his disciples there in verse 12 and there's a demand now we see of love. Look at verse 12 through 17. He says, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place that is at the table. He said to them, do you not understand what I've just done? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. And if I then, your teacher and Lord have washed your feet, you also ought ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you this example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Skip ahead into verse 30. And he gives what he calls this new commandment. After Judas goes out, he says, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and at once. And so little children, I say, let a little while I am with you. You'll seek me just as I said to the Jews. And so now I say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. He says here, God will glorify himself. He's spoken of this already in chapter 12. And he's saying in a moment, I'll be gone. And so what you are to do in my absence is this. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. For by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the demand on, of love demonstrated here by Jesus and commanded to his disciples is to possess a commitment to love one another deeply and lowly. The kind of love demonstrated by Jesus in his own love and service to his disciples is a love that goes deep and goes low, but also is a love that is lived loudly. The demand of love on Christians is a commitment to love one another. It's not an option. We are to love loudly. What he says here is, as he has led the example, we are to follow. This is what we end up following Jesus in. There's a place and a time where we cannot yet follow Jesus to where he is. He speaks to Peter. But in this, we do follow him. And in our following, in our loving of one another, we live out loud the doctrine of love. This Christian example of love that goes deep and love that gets low is a love that is loud. Notice he says here, that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That is, the world will look at you, disciples, and they'll see how you love one another, and they'll be able to tell if your love is superficial. If it's not deep at all, they'll be able to tell if your service to them is one of convenience or one is truly costly. And if it is costly, if it is low, if it is deep, then they will see resonantly that Jesus is real and true. And they'll crave and desire that kind of love, which leads them to the cross. The nature of true Christian love is that it must be lived loudly if you or I love one another. Again, there may be opportunities where it is easy, simple, and convenient. It's no skin off my back to come and spend a time with you over coffee and talk about the Bible. I love that. But there is times where it costs me greatly to love others. And this is how those who look at the church will know whether our love is genuine. If it's loud, if it's true. So the demand of love on the disciples is not an option, it's a necessity, and it must be lived loudly. But we have this picture of the defect of love in Judas's and even Peter's own example. We notice just earlier in that passage then, verse 21, he says that, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified and says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, John probably is the one that's spoken of here as the the one that Jesus loved, reclining at the table by Jesus' side, that Peter says, hey, ask Jesus who he's talking about. Now, Jesus apparently only answers John because the other disciples don't know why Judas is leaving. But John knows, and he records this, and he takes this, I think, contrast between Judas's betrayal of Jesus and at the end of our chapter, Peter's denial of Jesus. So we see that, of course, Judas betrays. We know that if you're familiar with the gospel story, that he goes to Jesus, finds him in the garden, and he betrays him with a kiss. But Peter ultimately also has his moment of a sort of betrayal he denies Jesus three times as he prophesies here at the end of the chapter. The question for us, which we should be asking then, is what's the difference between Peter's denial of Jesus and Judas' betrayal of Jesus? Because the difference makes all the difference. Well, the answer to that is in verse 10. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. He speaks to Peter. But not every one of you is. For he knew who was about to betray him, and that was why he said not all of you are clean. The difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter is clean. And Judas, his heart, is not. What's wrong with Judas's heart? Well, it says in verse 2, that during supper, Jesus knew that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And we know in verse 27, that Satan entered into Judas. Now, regardless of what you believe is really happening here and the work of demonic possession or otherwise, we understand that Judas does not have a love for Jesus at all. His heart does not follow after Jesus. He, indeed, has not been made clean by the teachings of Jesus or the love that Jesus demonstrates for him even after washing his own feet. And so whatever Satan is able to leverage in Judas's heart, it's this that his love for Jesus was neither deep nor sincere. And so Judas was able to simply accept 30 shekels of silver for the price of Jesus' life. Whereas Peter, Peter, as foolish and as headstrong as he is, loves Jesus. Maybe a little too much. Maybe a little too eagerly. But Jesus, being kind and gracious, reminds him that there will be a time when Peter himself will deny him. But the beautiful picture of reconciliation is this, that Jesus will restore Peter. The character of love, of Christian love, where you see from this picture, the contrast between Judas and Peter, is that love makes us whole. What true, genuine Christian love does is not only goes deep with us through our trial not only gets low in service of others, it's not only loud that it might show the wisdom and the glory and the beauty of Jesus, but it makes us whole as we practice love and we receive love from one another. We are restored to God. We are made whole in our sacrifices and in our sins and our failures. Love restores us. What does the Bible tell us? That love covers a multitude of sins. This means that we're able to look with one another and care for one another and restore one another into our fellowship because we love one another. It doesn't mean that sin is to be swept under the rug or ignored or not dealt with. It means that love is the permeating quality of our relationship. And so when you're sinned against and you love, that person is restored. There may need to be reconciliation and restoration, but ultimately love makes us whole. In our hearts, there's a desire to run away from love because it costs much. There's a difficulty and at times an impossibility for us to love God fully and completely, to obey his word, to listen and obey his teachings. That's because our heart being corrupt does not want to obey, does not want to love. But Christ's demonstration of love that goes deep and low enables us to be restored. It makes us whole. And so though you and I operate with a defective sort of love, Jesus' perfect love enables us to live more fully and completely. And this is the work of sanctification. Our love continues to be more full and more faithful, and love will make us whole. Well, lastly, I want to look at just the end of the chapter again, Peter's potential uh, betrayal. We see not only the definition of love, of Jesus' own commitment to his people, and the demonstration of his love as he washes their feet, and the demand of love that he places on his disciples to love one another, or the defect of love that each one of us carries into our relationships, here we see ultimately the destination of love. In verse 36, he says that he is going where Peter cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. He says this to the Jews and he says it before over and over again. In fact, chapter 14 tells us a little bit more about where this going takes place. But Jesus really is going to two places where the disciples cannot yet go. The first and most immediate is the cross. And the disciples are not willing to go to the cross yet with Jesus. All of them will run away. Judas just simply beat them all to the punch. But Peter here will deny Jesus. All his disciples will look from afar. They are not yet ready to go to the cross to walk in perfect love with Jesus. And so they can't come with him. But there's a second sense in in which he's saying, you cannot come. Where Jesus is going is not somebody to the cross, but he's going to the Father. Father. He's going to make a place, it says in the next chapter, for his disciples to come. And this going to the Father and this going to the cross is securing and making possible two primary things for his disciples and for us. First, it makes possible reconciliation with God by going to the cross where his disciples cannot go. Jesus is able to pay the penalty for the sins that would nail him there, your sins and my sins. And so because he goes to the cross, we then are able to go when it's our time to the Father. Jesus goes to the cross, and by going to the cross, he makes a way for us to be reconciled with God. That heart that is corrupt and unable to love God, his law, and his word, to follow after his commandments and to even love one another, is restored and made whole by being reconciled to God by faith. And it is necessary then that Jesus goes to the cross to secure that for us. But he also must go to the Father. So that by going to the Father, by way of the cross, we not only have reconciliation with God, but now we have communion with God. It is by the cross that he goes to the Father so that you and I would be counted sons and daughters, adopted as children of God. If you want reconciliation and you want communion, Peter, you have to let me wash your feet, go to the cross, and then leave you for a time. It is the only way to be reconciled and have communion with God. And so he tells Peter, you don't understand, I know, but soon you will, that the destination of love is not a place where you will be kept out of forever. Indeed, Peter will not only deny Jesus, but when he is restored, he'll lay down his own life for him. And Peter today stands with Jesus in the presence of God, experiencing and participating in the full communion of the Godhead. The characteristic of biblical love, Christian love, then that we see in this passage here is ultimately that love leads the way. Not only does love go deep and go low, not only is love loud or makes us whole, we know that love leads the way. That we cannot ultimately get to the Father unless we are willing to love. We cannot get to the Father were not for Christ's love for us. And we cannot fully obey the commandment Christ gives to us if we are unwilling and unable to love. Love must lead the way. When we read in 1 Corinthians 13, that faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love leads the way. That's the single most Important characteristic of the Christian's life is love. Love for God, love for his word, love for his people, love for Christ. And it is that love manifested and experienced in a manifold way, which leads us to the destination of love, which is the father's side. Reconciliation with God, communion with God, ultimately the place in heaven where believers will dwell for eternity. See, only love can transform our suffering into glory. The suffering of Jesus is only a glory for him because it is in love he lays down his life and in love he has called himself. It is only the glory of God's people when they lay down their life in love and service to God and others that their love is glorifying to both them and God ultimately. If you want to transform your suffering, if you want to transform the way you serve others, lead with love and let love lead you. When we look at this picture of true, genuine Christian love, we see that it goes deep. The relationships we have with one another need to go deeper than just surface level. We need to be able to ask each other the hard questions and walk with one another in the difficult times of our lives. It also must go low in that we're willing to serve one another in ways that we think might be otherwise beneath us. What we really genuinely come to understand is that love is never beneath us, even if it means we serve each other in menial ways. We know that love is loud so that when we commit to love one another, not the option, but the requirement to love one another, we display the love of Christ in and through us. And that practice of love towards one another means that when we look, overlook each other's sins and we reconcile with one another and people are restored into a fellowship with the church and with God, love is making us whole, completing us, and transforming us into one degree of the glory to the next. And when we let love lead the way, We know that all the suffering and all the difficulties that we experience ultimately transform to glory. That the promise leads us to the destination of eternity with God in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we know that we examine our own relationships and practice of love, we fall short of this. I do. I know you do. But Christ stands here not only as the end, the goal, the picture of what looks like but his love for us demonstrated not just in the the washing of the disciples' feet, but ultimate picture of love of his death and sacrifice for us on the cross is not just the end, but the means of love for us. Be encouraged and motivated by Jesus' love to commend you and compel you to love others. If you're asking, where do I start? You start there at the cross where God's perfect love and justice meet, where the love of God is demonstrated for the people of God. And when we start there, we can move on to love others, to serve others, as Jesus demonstrates for us. Let's pray. God, we ask now that you would give us a clear picture of what it looks like for us to love one another like this. Maybe we're already thinking of ways we've failed to go deep with one another, like Jesus, who loved us to the very end, who continues to love us, to intercede for us but we love only when it's convenient or easy. Father, we pray, God, that you allow us to see where our love, because it has not gone deep, has not been loud. In fact, we may have participated in the degradation of the name of Christ among the world because we have not been willing to love. Would we repent of that and ask that you reveal ways that we can step out in true faith with a willingness to love because Christ so loved us. God, we ask, Lord, that you help us understand ways that we can serve one another and not come to any activity of active of service as beneath us or to do so begrudgingly because Christ himself did not complain, but for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And he is for us the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we fix our eyes on him as we run the race that we may love well and serve well Ultimately, let us be led by this love. Let us know that it leads us and guides us and is there for us. That whenever we feel lost, we look to Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We love you. We pray now and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more, or listen to past sermons, please visit us at Foundationfxbg.